Hello there, and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about UFC Vegas 58 coming up on Saturday, the 9th of July, with a 6 p.m. Eastern start time. The main event's going to be featuring two Rafaels, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fiziev. It's going to be 12 total bouts on the card, no championships, but some pretty good fights overall. We're going to have more of a deep dive in the main card for the prelim cards. Maybe just a quick skate through, just give you our favorite picks to win. We'll talk about some prop bets, the fights we like the most, some spots we want to be more careful of. With that said, guys, let's jump into it with our first fight in the card. Here we go. First fight in the prelim cards going to be Ronnie Lawrence versus Saeed Kakrakmanov. Some insider sources have told me that Kakrakmanov training at a high level, looking very good. And so I'm going to choose him to win the fight. I like Ronnie Lawrence. Very good fight overall, 8-1 for a reason. But Saeed Koub, Kakramanov, is in a very good camp. I have a direct contact there. Supposedly, he is looking amazing. At plus 100 range, almost even money. I like him a lot. I have about a two-unit bet on him. I'm taking him to win the fight. Next up, we have Kennedy Ninchiku versus Carl Robertson. Let me tell you something. When it comes to Kennedy Ninchiku, he's a very good athlete, high level, obviously the UFC. But I could never bet on him. After that Carlos Olberg fight where he more or less lost every part of round one, covered up, did not return punches. At some point, the ref could have stopped it just because he wasn't returning punches. Very low fighter IQ. Amazing athlete. Yes, has all the physical abilities. Long legs, good striking ability when he uses his strikes, but at times, like, shuts down. You know, very tall, very long, still very athletic, but I like Carl Robertson here. At plus 110, plus 115, anything that's even money, I'm taking Robertson. For Kennedy and Juku, on his best day, yes, he probably wins his fight, but man, his best day, it's gambling with him. 83-inch reach, almost a foot reach advantage over his opponent here. That should matter, right? 6'5", compared to 6'1". That should matter, right? Against Carlos Olberg, I don't know what was going on there. And in some prior fights as well, he just sort of shuts down his fights. If Carl Robertson takes a fight to the ground, if he can crowd him, some advantages, right? Also, Carl Robertson's from Neptune, New Jersey. That's about 45 minutes from me, an hour from me. I can't go get to the local guys. So I'm on Carl Robertson to win the fight. Not sure I'm going to bet it, but I will take him to win. On to next fight. All right, next up, David Anama versus Garrett Armfield. Not much to say about this fight. David Anama is right now sitting around like minus 800, minus 700, so not very bettable. Unfortunately, Garrett Armfield is the last-minute victim here. David Anama was supposed to fight someone else. They backed out or whatever injury. I'm not sure what happened. So last-minute replacement. If you got in early on David Anawa, he was like around minus 450 to minus 500 when this line first opened up with this replacement fighter. Now, again, it's like minus 750 to minus 800. There's no value. I mean, if you want to parlay it, some people will parlay the numbers like that. I guess you're safe. You know, David Anawa, Anama, excuse me, is a very good fighter for Garrett Armfield. Eight and two regional promotions. You know, he's not in the UFC for a reason. 25 years old, so very young. I mean, great opportunity for him, but probably gets starched here. If you want to look at the props, I think David Anama finishes the fight some point within the first two rounds. So the fight does not the distance. Otherwise, guys, it's a stay away. I like Anama to win the fight. Cody Brundage versus Treshawn Gore. Here's a fight where I have the least amount of information to give you. There's just a lot of variables. We didn't do a deep dive. Cody Brundage, who's 7-2 overall. Good record, good experience against 3-1 Treshawn Gore. A lot of people are on Treshawn Gore, and he's a pretty good prospect. 28 years old, same age, actually, as Cody. You think of him as being younger, less fights, right? He's three and one very athletic very explosive you like that about him but man he's still very green and Cody Brundage has still fought look nine fights compared to four double the amount of octagon time that should matter I think Cody Brundage has the ground grappling submission BJJ advantage that's where he's gonna be a little better but when it comes to just athletic core strength who's more explosive that's where Treshawn Gore should be better and so I'm gonna choose Treshawn Gore to win the fight 
But man, this is a pick em for a reason. It's a fight where you can see it going either way. It's very low level. It's on the prelim card of a fight night event where a guy who's got four total fights against a guy who's got nine total fights for a reason. Not much more to say about this fight, guys. I'm going to choose Treshawn Gore to win the fight. If I had to choose a prop that I like the most, the fight does not go the distance. I think with this kind of fight here, we have two guys that are not very experienced. Someone makes a big mistake and someone capitalizes. So at some point, I believe the fight ends in probably round one or round two. Treshawn Gore to win the fight. Let's move on. Next up, Antonina Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey. This is a flyweight bout in the women's division. Here's a fight where I didn't do a deep dive, but I have a lot of background information on Shevchenko having studied her prior fights and watched her fight recently. This is a great matchup for her. The UFC is serving her up a favor, and it makes sense. You know, her sister, the champion, and she's been a good fighter. She's been pretty tough. She's been durable. She's got her ass beat a few times against high-level opponents. Shevchenko attempts to come up short. You know, two and three in her last five fights, this is a good opponent for her. Courtney Casey at 10 and 9 is hovering around 500. She's two and three in her last five fights. Slight dog, 35 years old. They're both about the same age. Neither fighter is very young. I think in this fight here, at five foot eight, one is taller, 68 inch reach, one inch reach advantage. The better training partner at minus 170-ish, minus 180, minus 200. I like her there. Now, some people say you're going to be crazy. Minus 200, two to one favorites, women's fights. We've been watching it happen all the time. Flipped the other way recently. I get it. But Courtney Casey is not that good. Her record is what she is. You know, she's 10 and 9 for a reason. Even though Shevchenko's not an amazing ground attack fighter, against lower level opponents, she's pretty good in the ground. Against people that are not very schooled and, you know, weaker training camps, she'll take advantage of them on the ground. So I think on the ground and the feet, she has all the advantages. The perfect fight for her. UFC's doing her a favor. I like Shevchenko. I'm going to be betting her straight up, maybe about one full unit. So that's about 100 bucks straight up on her to win and also putting her into a few parlays. I do like her a lot. She's actually one of my favorite picks on this card. I know I sound crazy here, but I think Anna Shevchenko in this spot is just, she's primed for the win. Let's move on. And the last fight in the premium card, one of the most exciting fights on the card altogether, is Aimeen Zahabi versus Ricky Tarusios. Now, Ricky Tarusios is the tough darling, the ultimate fighter darling, who came out of what season? I don't know, 27, 28. If you watch that season, you get to know him a little bit. Very spiritual guy. He has like a hippie esque sort of attitude and, you know, very God centric and just the kind of guy. It's hard not to like him. Uh, fans who've met him talk highly of him. They projected him on the show as a very, you know, again, very nice guy, very athletic. And came out of that season as, like, you know, pretty much the champion of the people. The people's champion, right? So in this matchup, it's not surprising he's a minus 190 favorite. I do believe that line's off. I believe that line's partially being backed by this popularity contest. The fact that he is a guy who's very likable. He hasn't fought in a while. Been about two years. And when I started looking at this money line and looking at this guy, Amin Zahabi, who's 8-2, and 3-2 in his last five fights, out of Canada, out of Montreal, Quebec, 34 years old, man strength, the kind of guy where kind of sneaky good, no love on the money line against a guy like Ricky Tarusios, who's been out of the octagon for a little while. He goes by pretty. You know, um, you can be pretty, but you can't, you know, win at the same time. You know, those things can be contradictory. So anyway, so Ricky Tarusios is 11-2 overall. Three to his last five fights, a minus one ninety favor here out of Sacramento, California. Twenty nine years old, five foot nine height. We'll have a one inch height advantage in this matchup with a seventy two inch reach, a four inch reach advantage there for Ricky Drusios, and he's out of Team Alpha Male. As for Zahabi, who's at a TriStar Gym, he's at a sixty eight inch reach, five foot eight in height, thirty four years old, about five years older, and again he's out of Canada. Look at the numbers on Tapology. By no surprise, Tarusio is getting eighty three percent of the votes. It makes sense that people like him. He's very likable. He's a very awkward fighter, and I mean that in a positive way. He's the kind of guy, he's got like that Nate Diaz quality, where he's doing things from odd angles, very durable, great cardio. 
and probably wins. I kind of imagine the UFC does not want to see Ricky Tarusios lose. He's the kind of guy where he's got that Jesus quality. You know, people follow him. You know, people want him to win, if you could follow what I'm saying. You know, from, from that standpoint, in any case, it's the kind of spot where you want to be careful you're not betting with your heart instead of your head. Ricky's the kind of guy where he, he kind of snags at your heart, right? He's the kind of guy where you see yourself in him, underdog, champion of the people, church-going boy. You know, he just got all the qualities that you're looking for. So from that standpoint, I'm a little scared here. I thought about parlaying him because I like him so much. And I realized, you know what? Let me just maybe stand back. Fight goes a distance. Good, tough fight. He's durable. The so hobby's pretty durable. So go to a nice, close decision. Maybe sitting around that area might be better off. So anyway, with that said, guys, I like Tarusius to win the fight, but... <clears throat> All that said, guys, I like Tarusius to win the fight, but man, it's one of those fights where, again, I'd be very careful here betting too much because if he loses, you're not going to be surprised. Again, a two-year layoff. It's a long time to not be in the octagon. And so coming in... <clears throat> and so again, I like Tarusius to win the fight, but I just want to be careful here. You're not betting too much with your heart instead of your head. So that's why I picked Tarusius to win, but I don't think I'm going to bet. So in summary, I like Tarusius to win the fight. I just don't think I'm going to be betting it very much because I'm a little scared here. I'm being jaded by the public opinion. I kind of like the guy. I'm sure like you, you like the guy. So from that standpoint, I'll maybe put something small on him to win, but I don't want to put too much because if he breaks my heart, I don't want him to break my bank account too, right? All right, the main card for USC Vegas 58 opens up with a lightweight bout between Michael Johnson, the American fighter who goes by The Menace, and Jamie Malarkey from Australia. Malarkey is 14-5 overall, 2-3 in the last five fights. A favorite here at minus 225 to minus 240, depending on what book you're looking at. He's from Central Coast, New South Wales, 28 years old, 6-foot high with a 74-inch reach, and he trains out of Magnus Martial Arts Arena. As for Michael Johnson, he's 20-17 overall, so just hovering above 500. 1-4 in his last five fights. Yeah, that's a bit of a rough streak, kind of been cold recently. But he's coming off of a win, mind you. He's a plus 190, plus 200 range underdog in this fight. He's out of Boca Raton, Florida, 36 years old. 5 to 10 in height, so about a 1 to 2 inch height advantage there for uh, Jamie Malarkey. And 73 and a half inch reach, so about a half inch reach advantage as well there for Jamie. And he's out of Kill Cliff FC. Now looking at the numbers on Tapology, it appears that Malarkey is the favorite, getting 69% of the votes. I do agree. I like Malarkey too. My, my questions here are not so much about, is Michael Johnson a good fighter? It's more about can you really depend on him to be a good fighter, you know, on any given night. Looking back at his topology, you're going to see some names you're going to recognize. Very good names. He's been in there with some very good opponents and also been in the UFC for a long time. A lot of experience, right? But man, every time you want to get behind him, <laughs> he finds a way to sort of let you down. You know, as for Malarkey coming off of a recent KO loss, yeah, there's some reasons to be concerned there too. But if you've got to bet in this fight, I mean, at minus 225, minus 250, I get the concern about value. I understand that. There's a lack of value there, no question. But man, if I'm going to put money in this fight, I'm putting the money behind the guy who I think late in round two, round three, when the shit hits the fan, when your game plan's not working, you have to just bite down your mouthpiece and keep fighting. I think Malarkey's going to drop his balls there and be the better, tougher fighter and be willing to go the distance. Whereas Michael Johnson, the older fighter, you know, has shown in the past that he will sort of pack it in. Um, now, with that said, you know, just look, it should be noted, if you're on Michael Johnson, if you like Michael Johnson, if you're saying, listen, no, skill-wise, you know, he, he tends to win round one, you know, he looks very good early on, if he can maybe just get the first round and a half of the fight, 
you know, stay at range, very athletic. Yes, all those things are very true about Michael Johnson. But who is Jamie Malarkey? How does he fight? He's a bit of a roughneck. He makes shit ugly. You know, that's just what he does. Now, who did he re- lose recent to, recently to? He lost to Jalen Turner, the tarantula. Round two, Grand and Pound. I'm sorry. Round two, TKO. And if you watch Jalen Turner recently, this guy's pretty legit. Pretty legit. If they fought again, that probably that fight, the distance, you know, I, I think Malarkey's got a good chin. He just got caught in that fight. Prior win against Devontae Smith. Round two, knockout. That was last year. Also last year, knocked out Kama Worthy. I mean, think about that. His Two of his last three fights, he's knocked out guys. Athletic, black, African-American, good opponents. Knocked them out. You know, lost to, to Riddell by decision. Lost to Faraz Ziam, I don't know how, by decision. You know, got knocked out by Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner is what his only time he's been finished in his career. Let me look at this. No, my bad. <laughs> he also got finished by Alexander Volkanovsky and Luke uh, Kato Big. Never heard of that dude before. That was Bracken Brave 42 or Brace 42. In any case, bottom line is this. I think Malarkey, if you've watched some film on him, I think you'll agree. Very tough, durable guy. He's the kind of guy where early on you might land a few things, rough him up, maybe even stun him a little bit. He might look bad. He's very white, light skin. So he'll be showing those red marks if you hit him enough. But over the course of three rounds, Michael Johnson has shown again and again that he quite, you know, can't really be counted on. Now, his last fight against Alan Patrick, I did back him. I like Michael Johnson in that matchup. More because of my concerns for Alan Patrick, and those concerns sort of came to fruition. Michael Johnson gets the win there, round two, by a ground and pound. But prior loss before that was against Clay Guida, Diego Moises, Stevie Ray, Josh Emmett. Then went against Artem Lobov. Beat Andre Feely, then lost against Darren Elkins, lost against Justin Gaethje, lost against Khabib Nurmagomedov. He made a hurt of some of these guys. Lost against Nate Diaz, Benil Dariush. Beat Dustin Poirier, knocked him out in round one, 2016, six years ago. It, it's just such a juggernaut here. You could make a ton of arguments for why Michael Johnson has very much of a chance to win the fight. In my humble opinion, though, if you're going to have to throw money at this fight and you have to gamble in this fight, you're going to have to look at Jamie Malarkey as the rightful, likely winner. Because, again, the durability factor over the course of three rounds, he is younger. How old is Malarkey? Let me look this up real quick. I'm just skipping my head here. Malarkey is 27 years old in eight, 10 months, right? So r- roughly about 28 years old. Eight years younger than a 36-year-old Michael Johnson. Now, Michael Johnson, at 36 years old, doesn't look very old, moves pretty well. It's a lightweight division, 155 pounds. But the thing is, if you've been watching the fight recently, you, you notice there's a point where he mentally just sort of checks out. If it doesn't go his way, he's the kind of guy where he's like, I've had enough. I'm out of here. So I'm backing on Malarkey being the tougher fighter, be willing to get through the tough points in the fight, rebound, stay in there, get a win. Not surprised if it's like a late round two, round three TKO where Michael Johnson is sort of covering up, balling up, just checking out, or even by decision. But I like Malarkey here. In terms of a prop bet, I would look at Malarkey to finish the bite, finish fight Excuse me, by a TKO or the fight going and starting round two or round three. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but uh, that's what I like there, guys. Let's move on to the next fight. Here we go. All right, next fight in the main card is going to be the one and only women's bout in the main card, 125 pounds between Nina Nunez, the wife of Amanda Nunez, versus Cynthia Calvillo. Now, before I jump into this, if you've been watching the most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter, you would have seen Nina Nunez 
she's been in the show because, of course, her wife's in the show, and so she's not like an active character in the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, but she does like have some, I guess, FaceTime on the some cuts, some scenes, or whatever else. Anyway, so this fight is a very tough fight to call from the perspective from a gambling standpoint. I like betting on every single fight. I love mixed martial arts. I'm like you. I want to find a betting angle. I want to have something invested in it, right? This fight, you're probably better off just deciding do you think it's going to be a finish or do you go to distance? Because you can make some good arguments for why both fighters can lose the fight. Now, Nunez, who goes by the Strina, is 10 and 7 overall, 3 and 2 in her last five fights. Slight dog here, like plus 150 ish on the money line, plus 125, depending on what book you have. She's obviously, again, the wife of Amanda Nunez, so good training camp. 36 years old, so not quite young, getting up there in years. 5'5 five, five in height with a 64-inch reach. And she's based at an American top team, it says. Though, again, if she's on the show with her wife, Amanda Nunez, they're in Las Vegas, so I'm not sure where they're training at. But either way, probably good training. As for Calvillo, based out of Las Vegas as well, 34 years old in 11 months, so no spring chicken herself, about the same age as her opponent. 9-4-1 overall. 1-3-1 in her last five fights. So neither fighter is lighting it up recently. They're both kind of on a bit of a cold streak. She's a slight favor here, like minus 150-ish, minus 175 again, depending on what book you use. 5-4 in height, so one inch shorter than her opponent. Same reach, 64 inches, and she's out of Team Alpha Male. So in terms of their just basic credentials, their basic physique, height, weight, whatever, age, very similar. Now looking at the numbers on Tapology, it appears the public likes Calvillo more. 72% of the votes coming in for Calvillo, only 28% coming in for Nunez. I'm not surprised. I mean, I think Calvillo wins the fight. I think. Not sure. I think. And I get the public liking her more because Nunez in her last fight did not look very good. And there's been a lot of chatter about her possibly hanging it up. That maybe if she loses the fight, she puts her gloves down and that's it. Aladdin. I could see it. Her last fight, close to her situation with her having her baby and... You know, a lot going on, and there's a lot of talk that maybe she's just more invested now with family. Whatever the case may be, at her age, been fighting for a while, could you blame her for being a little bit, I wouldn't say distracted, but just thinking more about life beyond mixed martial arts? Not to mention that her partner, Amanda Nunes, is very much still in the title hunt and trying to go back and get the title again here, what, next month or so? Uh, next few weeks, actually. Uh, with all that said, there's a lot of reasons to doubt Nunes. As for Calvillo, oh my gosh, you know, her last fight. Wasn't a good situation. <laughs> Did not get, look good against Andrea Lee. And imagine this. Back-to-back -back fights getting finished within the first two rounds against Andrade and Lee. It's not that those are not good opponents. They're very good opponents. But still, you know, back-to-back -back losses. And then before that loss to Caitlin Jukagan by decision. So a three-fight losing streak. Hasn't won in over two years. Her last win was against Jessica I by decision. We just saw Jessica I. God bless her. Just retired, of course. But she's a shell of herself, right? And so she just, you know, has had a rough run. Now, her high her high points, the best of her days, going to a, a draw against Marina Rodriguez, very good fighter, you know, wins over Botelho, went to a decision loss against Carla Esparza, beat Joanna Wood. So you, when you look back at her topology, you see wins, you know, against those opponents, Montana De La Rosa, Jillian Robertson. She's beaten some people, you know, but... Overall, again, it's like it's sort of that recency bias. Like, what have you done for me lately? The reality is, she's lost three fights in a row, has not to win in two years. On the flip side, got Nina Nunez, who's like, listen, hold my beer. I've lost two fights in a row myself, and I haven't had a win in over four years. 
Her last win, well, not over four years, more like three year, three and a half years. Her last win was in 2018 against uh, Claudia Guadella, and that was by decision in December of 2018. So almost 2019. That's why I said more like three years and a half. So her last two losses were against Mackenzie Dern, Tatiana, Tw- Tatiana Suarez, excuse me. Not bad losses, you know, good opponents. Now, got arm barred round one her last fight by Mackenzie Dern. And just didn't look, let's just put it this way, wasn't fully recovered from the momhood and got exposed by a very hungry, thirsty Mackenzie Dern looking to prove something. Prior fight, Tatiana Suarez. Suarez is a very good fighter. So going to decision and losing that fight, not a bad look. But now what are her biggest wins? Ronda Marcos, 2018, decision win. Angela Hill, 2017, decision win. So, you know, good wins on her belt. But... There's so many variables here. I don't like just saying pass in the fight. This is one of those, like, not dog or pass, not parlay or pass. You know, not, it's just pass, pass. Because you could see either fighter finding a way to eke this out. Like, if the best version of Nunez shows up, ATT, good training partners, her wife, the whole deal. You know, could she be a little bit quicker, a little more spry, show more of a desire to win? Calvillo has been the kind of fighter who mid-fight can say, I'm done. You want to fight anymore? The fight should go the distance. You know, there's a lot of props here that I'm considering. But uh, let's just wrap this up here and just say this. I think Calvillo probably wins the fight. Probably. Like, ever so slightly. But I won't be surprised if it goes either way. If you're going to have to bet it, I think you put the money in the Nunez side, excuse me, because it's plus money. And so there's a better return. The fight most likely goes to decision. Where's that prop at? Let me look that up right here. Give me one second. The fight goes to decision for Nunez and Calvillo is sitting at minus 175. That's not terrible value for a women's fight. I guess what the book is thinking is, again, Calvillo's had a history of just calling it quits. Nunez just got armbarred in the first round of the last fight. So numbers would suggest that there's some volatility and maybe the fight gets finished early. But look, the reality is, I think it's an evenly matched fight. They both kind of like low-key... <clears throat> lack of better words, not very good right now. And from that perspective, I think the fight probably goes to decision, minus 175. If you want to look for a finish, I think you're just fishing there. I mean, Nunez by TKO, Calvillo by TKO, those are like plus 700 range by submission. You know, Calvillo by submission is plus 350. That's probably the most realistic submission or finish of any kind. Anyway, guys, that's our pick. We like Calvillo to win the fight. I would stay away from this from a betting perspective and probably... Take this time in the fight night to get up, maybe grab a snack, warm up your dip, grab a beer, grab a stogie, go outside, have a cigarette, whatever you're going to do. Because if you bet in this fight seriously and it doesn't go your way, you're going to be left thinking, like, why did I invest in a fight where both fighters are just literally just clinging on and there's no, you know, like serious reason to put money on either side. So we're on Calvillo. Good luck with this fight, guys. Let's move on. Here we go. All right, next fight in the card is the fight of the night, the one we're all waiting for. The heavyweight bout on the main card, Jared Vendera versus Chase Sherman. I'm obviously just kidding. Chase Sherman, the Vanilla Gorilla, 15-10 and 10 overall, 1-4 in his last five fights, and a bit of a rough stretch, has been cut technically twice by the UFC. This is his third go-around, scoring off against Jared Vendera, 12-8 and 8 overall, 1-4 and 4 also in his last five fights. This arguably could be the 
toilet bowl of the heavyweight division for mixed martial arts. There should be a finish. It should get a little ugly at some point. Vandera is the kind of guy who looks like he's already cut coming out of the locker room. The type of guy who's like a rocky, not the most attractive physique. I do like watching him fight, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight. I actually have some credible reasons to choose him to win. A lot of people are saying they're not going to bet in this fight or stay away from it. It's the gens only, you know, 1-800-GAMBLERS, the whole deal. I've got some concrete numbers to support why you should consider a bet here on Jared Vandera. So Vandera is the favorite right now. He's sitting at minus 195. You've got Sherman at plus 165. So there is some value there at Vendor at minus 200 ish range, two to one odds. I get it. He's 12 and 8 overall. I get he's 1 and 4 in his last five fights. I get he's 31, looks like he's 41, and has a lot of holes in his game. But man, Chase Sherman, boy, he is the kind of guy where. If you don't beat him, he might beat himself. When we talk about more of his profile, we'll explain that to you. But uh, I like Vandar in this fight. I'm going to try to convince you guys of that. So looking here first at the striking numbers of these two fighters. Vandar is landing 4.52 per minute, absorbing 4.78. Not the greatest ratio, just about negative, actually. So it's about equal, equal output versus equal input. For Chase Sherman, landing 6.08, absorbing 6.32. So not great defense, but good high volume, especially for heavyweights. Now, Vandar, he tends to, let's say, go better as the fight goes on. So round two, round three, kind of slows down like most fighters, but we'll have more endurance, I believe, in this fight than Chase Sherman, who Sherman early on, good volume, good output, and then he gets finished early in the fight. So those numbers are kind of skewed. 6.08 is good output for Sherman, but he tends not to go the full distance if you catch my drift. Now for takedown defense, 20% takedown defense for Vanderer and 66% for Sherman. For takedown offense, only a quarter of a takedown per fight for Jared Vanderer and zero takedowns per 15 minutes for Chase Sherman. You could imagine a way that Chase Sherman could mess up, slip on a banana peel, end up in his back. And if that happens, Jared Vanderer is a very big guy, very heavy on top. He can be hard to get out from under. The problem is with only 0.27 takedowns per 15 minutes, he's not displaying a lot of takedown offense. So it's going to have to be some kind of an oopsie situation. As for Vanderer, even if he were to fall down, there's not really any film of seeing Chase Sherman on top of somebody. So when it comes to takedown offense defense, I think it's going to be a moot point. It shouldn't be a big factor. Now back to the details in these two guys. Height-wise, six foot four, so both the same height. Now 80 inch reach for Jared Vanderer compared to 78 inches for Chase Sherman. Only a two inch advantage in reach, but still it's two inches. Vanderer trains out of Team Quest Athletic Center, which is his gym. Him and his wife own that gym. He also trains out of Dan Henderson's Athletic Fitness Center. As for Chase Sherman, he trains out of American Top Team, the one in Dilbers Road, Mississippi, not the one down in uh, Florida. Florida. Now looking at the numbers in topology, Vandera is the favorite, getting 81% of the votes, only 19% coming in for Sherman. It makes sense to me. I think when you look more into the details here, you're going to realize that even though they're both low-level heavyweights, there's still some advantages there for Vandera. Now looking at the background of these two fighters, for Jared Vandera, he was born in Washington State. He started wrestling in high school. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He went 5-4 and four as an amateur. He was knocked out or submitted in three of those four losses, so not a great look as an amateur record. He defeated Harry Hunsucker in 2020 on Dana White Contender Series via round one KO. That was his ticket to the UFC. He's fought in LFA, BA, MMA, and EFC prior to the UFC. He earned fight of the night in the UFC versus Justin Taffa a few years ago. Him and his wife own a gym together, and they also have two daughters. As for his prior opponents, we're going to talk about his last fight, Alexei Olenek, 2022, this year, round one submission loss. Olenek is literally one of the oldest heavyweights in the entire world. God bless the man, because he got a win there, and he submitted our boy here, Jared Vander, in round one. But in round one, Vanderer had the advantage on the feet. He was landing the better punches. He gets on top of Olenek for some dumb reason, and she engages on the ground, the only area that Olenek is very dangerous, and he ends up going ahead and losing by some kind of a choke, one of those unique chokes that Olenek has in his arsenal. Anyway, low fighter IQ, lost the fight. That was just a few months ago. Prior to that, who does he fight? Hunter Orlovsky. He's like on the geriatric tour, fighting the most oldest guys in the UFC. And guess what happened? He lost that fight by split decision. That's a fight where I thought 
thought he kind of won. But, you know, it's Orlovsky. You can't go to decisions with Orlovsky because the judges love him. He wins a lot of decisions. He's crafty, does just enough, and sort of shows you Vanderer's lack of finishing power. Uh, maybe lack of fighter IQ. So back-to-back -back losses against guys who have a combined age of like almost 90 years old. And then his prior fight, Alexander Romanov. They both have fought Romanov. He lost that fight round two TKO. And Romanov is looking pretty good. He tends to have some cardio issues late in the fight, but has looked good recently. So those are the three fights I wanted to mention. The things I like about our boy here, Jared Vanderer, what he does well, high volume, especially for heavyweight. Take a punch. He's pretty durable. He's shown that in recent past. As for my concerns for him, he gets very sloppy. And he's the kind of guy where... I don't want this to sound the wrong way. He comes out looking sloppy. That's just sort of his MO. He looks like he just, you know, chugged a beer, had a greasy hamburger, wiped, you know, wiped it on his, you know, his type, this type of guy. Like, I, you know, I don't give a fuck driving a pickup truck, but nice guy. I don't want to confuse you with me thinking like he's like stupid or uneducated. I'm just saying like that kind of dude, that's the way he fights too. It's pretty sloppy. Bar brawl type of situation. Doesn't block many punches brawling type of fighter which makes for exciting heavyweight action if he gets knocked out has made some poor decisions though in recent fights we talked about the fighter iq issues losing to olenic and losing to arlovsky not great looks and then of course he leaves himself very open to counters now if chase sherman comes in here the best version of chase sherman like floating like a butterfly sting like a bee the guy we all think he could be he's a poor man's tom aspinall that's what chase sherman is he's quick he's agile he's got those moments they don't last very long tends to get tired <laughs> tends to gas out Goes to the corner between rounds, has issues. Let's talk about Chase Sherman. So background of this guy, NCAA Division II national champion in football. Now, mind you, that was at Delta State, and he was an offensive lineman. So I'm going to just try to sidetrack for a second. Offensive linemen tend to be some of the best students on the football team. They're the most team-oriented. They never touch the ball. Think about it. Offensive linemen. Even defensive linemen can touch the ball sometimes. But the offensive linemen, it's even a violation. It's a foul if they catch the ball or something like that. So they never touch the damn football. They're blocking their team players. He does that at Delta State, wins a national championship. And I'm telling you right now, Delta State, that program could beat some Division One football teams. That's how reputable they are. So considering this, big, husky, white guy, playing offensive linemen. So that's the kind of guy I envision him. When I first did his profile breakdown like a year or so ago, I gave him a lot of check marks. I'm like, this is positive things. He's got a winning pedigree, national championship, Delta State. Well, then there's this mixed martial arts career, and it's a whole different career. And I don't know what he was like as a football player in college, but as a mixed martial artist, he's 3-9 and nine in the UFC. The first time he saw the UFC was 2016, so about six years ago was his first stint. 2018, they let him go. Then they resigned him two years ago, 2020. Then he lost to Collier. That was his last loss last year. They, I'm sorry, earlier this year. So they actually cut him. <laughs> Second time was earlier this year. So he got cut this year and re-signed this year. And when he was re-signed, that was to fight Romanov. And he pretty much was just a dead fish going to that fight. No one wanted to fight Romanov. And they were like, Chase, you want to, you want back in the UFC, dude? You want, you want back in? Let's go, dude. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll come back in. And round one gets submitted right away. And it was, you know, let, let's be honest. Chase was just, you know, there for just to get his ass beat. He's fought in BKC. So bare knuckle was like his thing. When he got cut one of those times, he went to bare knuckle, had a moment. And it doesn't seem like that's more of his style. Like no cardio. Has a hard time, you know, dealing with repeated takedowns. Gets tired. And go bare knuckle. That seems to be like a better way. But anyway, he's back. He's on a four fight losing streak. His last opponent, Alexander Romanov. We just talked about that fight. His prior opponent this year, Jake Collier. Lost that fight, round one submission loss. So last two fights, he lost round one submission loss. Third fight this year. I give him that. This would be his third mixed martial arts fight this year in the UFC. Maybe he survives this and fights a fourth one. I don't know. He lost to Parker Porter by decision last year. 
and also lost to Andre Orlovsky last year by decision. So both these guys like to lose against older, average fighters like Orlovsky. Now, what are the positive points about his game? He is very athletic, has fast hands, it's good footwork, but can he put it to use over the course of 15 minutes, not just five minutes? Can he do it for a long period of time? Can he withstand the pressure and pace of this bear of a man, Vandera, just sort of leaning against him against the fence? You know, does he have the mental capacity to stay focused for 15 minutes? So my concerns now for Chase Sherman, very poor cardio. It's like a mental cardio issue and a physical cardio issue. So at some point in the fight, if it's like a stalemate, he's the one who will break. He's not very durable. He gets finished pretty frequently and got finished in round one of his last two fights. And he's also very mentally weak. There's been recent fights where he goes to the corner when he makes it out of round one, he comes back to the corner and the corner has to pick him up mentally because he's doubting himself, saying things like, I can't do it or I'm losing. Maybe it's just him expressing himself and I don't want to judge him for that because you know it's his corner. It should be a private space. It's not a private space. It's a public space. The whole world hears you. But he has a reputation of like not being mentally strong and sort of psyching himself out. He really should not be in the UFC technically, but he's only in the UFC because they needed somebody to be a body bag against Romanov. It's like that's the level where he's at right now. Barely one foot in the door. The fights we watched around this film, we watched Vandiver versus Olenek earlier this year, Vandiver versus Orlovsky earlier this year, Sherman versus Romanov earlier this year, and Sherman versus Collier. All four of those fights, which are all from this year, are available down below. You'll see four links there as part of our free video library. Okay, my final thoughts on this fight, and this is where I think you might agree with me. If you don't, I understand. In terms of fighter experience, they're about the same. You got 12 and 8 versus 15 and 10. Both have fought and lost to the same type of guy. So for fighter experience-wise, about identical, right? Who is the person who's a little more intelligent in the cage? Vanderer last fight literally loses the fight. He kind of was winning the fight, and then he lost it by falling into the guard of a submission master. Not the smartest of guys. Chase Sherman, I mean, he's on a terrible losing streak, kind of not even should be in the UFC. And so when it comes to fighter IQ, again, very low level. And I maybe give a small edge to Vanderer, who I think over the course of three rounds probably prevails. As for cardio, significant advantage there for Jared Vanderer. Tired, moves slower late in the fight, gets sloppy. He fights sloppy for all three rounds. But Chase Sherman, no, no, no. No, he wants no part of round three. So for cardio, that's a big advantage for Vanderer. For finishing ability, Definitely an advantage for Vanderer. He has some finishes. He's out there swinging hard. He's going to have good volume late in the fight. Chase Sherman, he's his own worst enemy. If he doesn't get hurt, he'll just get mentally worn down at some point. It'll be like a, a mental tap out. He's getting punched in the ground, just covered up, and just, you know, not returning fire. So finishing edge, give the edge there to Vanderer. Now for striking ability, same thing. Even though the numbers suggest that Sherman has higher output, again, remember, shorter fights. He gets finished pretty fast. If this fight gets anywhere round two, round three, I see Vanderer just simply laying on him, striking him more, being more being more active, having more volume. So from a striking standpoint, I also give the edge to Jared Vanderer. Now, if we're talking just like first round, first two minutes, like boxing at distance, who looks better? Of course, Chase Sherman. Much with your hands, um, good volume at distance, you know, good at range, some kicks, good combinations. I mean, he looks beautiful when he's fresh at range early on. But get to round two, round three, that should change quite a bit. And I see Vander having the advantage in the striking. As for grappling, neither guy's a good grappler. There's some numbers there for Vanderer. I think if he falls on top of Chase Sherman, there's an advantage there, but ever so slightly. And last but not least, who has more heart? Who wants it more? I don't think you can argue with me that when it comes to Chase Sherman, he has displayed a lack of heart. A guy who's gone to his corner, psyched himself out, you know, can't even get back out there and fight the right way. Who loses fights and gets back up and he's like, oh, doggone it. I should have. Like, dude, I mean, I'm not questioning his desire to want to do well and fight. 
But maybe it's the camp. Maybe it's, you know, just needs to change things up. It's not working out for him out there. Now, could he win this fight? Of course. He's plus 155. He's an underdog. Some people will bet him. They'll just do dog or pass here. I get that. I think when it comes to cardio, finishing ability, striking, grappling, and just who wants it more, there's an edge there for Jared Vander. Now, I know Vander looks like he's 51 years old or whatever. He's 31. He's actually a year younger than Chase Sherman. He's the one who's still in the UFC. He wasn't cut this year. It was Chase Sherman who was cut. Long story short, I'm again reinforcing my backing behind Jared Vander. How will I bet it? Okay, I'm not going to take a big piece straight up. Uh, I won't even bet it straight up. I'll put it into an end of maybe one parlay at minus 195, minus one is 200. Not a lot of value. Now, the props I like, though, here's something I do like on this fight. The fight not going to decision is minus 225. Heavyweight bout. Two guys who make mistakes. Low fighter IQ. I could even see someone like doing an illegal blow. But 15 minutes? Don't think so. So minus 25, that would be a spot I would look to parlay. A KO by Jerry Vanderer is plus 130. I'm not going to play it. It's almost pick and value, and that's probably because the books see that happening, and they see Chase Sherman sort of, you know, take an easy way out. Now, with round three, the fight not going to round three, excuse me, is minus 135. I love this spot. You have pretty much equal value, and the fight just simply not hitting round three. And in my opinion, look, this probably ends at some point in round one or round two. So minus 135, great spot. I like it. I might bet that straight up as the one bet that I bet straight up on this fight. Now, a long shot prop here is a round two KO by Jared Vanderer. That's plus 700. Now, here's what I envision here. Follow me in this scenario. We get through a grueling round one. Nothing too amazing happens, but it hits that stalemate. The stalemate that sort of breaks Chase Sherman. So Chase Sherman comes back to the corner, and the coaches are telling him, you did a good job, and it's close. And he's like, no, I didn't do a good job, coach. I'm, I'm a mess out here, coach. I need to win, you know? And he comes out of the corner frantic. He's, you know, fragile, mentally fragile, you know, not really where he needs to be headspace-wise. You got the ogre on the other side, Jerry Vanderer coming out like, uh, I'm just ready to fight. Tell me where to go, coach. You come like a Rocky. And I think Jerry Vanderer comes out there in round two and just simply breaks Sherman at plus 700. I like that prop. I'll probably play it. It's not huge value, but there's some good value there. I think at some point there is a finish. It's just a matter of figuring out what round and who does it. Anyway, guys, that's your breakdown. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. And we are on to the next fight. Here we go. All right, moving on up the card, we've got a bantamweight bout at 135 pounds between Douglas Silva de Andrade, who goes by D Silva, versus Said Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov is 15-2 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, a big favorite here, minus 325 on the main line. He hails out of Machkala, Russia, 30 years old, 5'8", 170-inch reach, and he trains out of Dog Fighter. As for Andrade, who's 28-4 overall, very impressive record, he's 3-2 in his last five fights. A big dog, though, at plus 265 on the main line, he hails out of Pará, Brazil, 37 years old, 5'7", in height, with a 68.5-inch reach, and he trains out of NFT Kastan Hall. So just some basic information just to look at right away is there's going to be a one-inch height advantage there for Saeed and about a two-and-a-half-inch, excuse me, about a two-inch advantage there in reach for Saeed. So height and reach-wise, not a big difference. About a seven-year age disadvantage there for Andrade. Disadvantage, that's kind of funny. 37 years old compared to 30. Look, once you get past 35, 36, in this weight class, weight, you don't get faster. Uh, I don't believe your endurance improves. Andrade is in great shape. 
but the age disadvantage alone for me in a tight fight is enough for me to side with Saeed Nurmagomedov. I'm trying not to be, I guess, jaded by this Nurmagomedovs. Anytime you see a Madoff, Nurmagomedov, Magomed, Magomedov, any of these Madoffs, it's like ingrained in the money line. So that's why he's minus 325. This probably should be more like a minus 175, minus 200. Andre's a good fighter. Douglas Andrade is a very good fighter. So from that standpoint, the meat's getting sort of chewed off of the bet. There's not a lot of value there. This to me is going to be a parlay or pass. Not a dog or pass, parlay or pass. There's not much value in Saeed at minus 325 unless you're going to parlay. And if you have any feeling that Douglas Andrade might win the fight, and I understand there's some arguments out there that he could win the fight, then just take him the dog money plus 265, right? But my thinking is that no, no, 37-year-old Andrade, who's looked pretty good recently, will not be over to overcome the age's advantage. And Saeed Nurmagomedov is just stepping into his prime years. He's 15-2, and two, only two losses. Learn from both losses. He's on a bit of a streak right now. I believe he takes the fight to the ground, wins position control, maybe doesn't finish Douglas Silva, but gets enough time on the ground position control. And even on the feet, we'll have the advantage there from the youth advantage, striking advantage, speed advantage. Now, as for the public votes in Tapology, it looks like Nurmagomedov is the favorite by no surprise. 91% of the votes coming in for him, only 9% for Silva. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, for Saeed Nurmagomedov, he's from Dagestan, Russia. His cousin is Umar Nurmagomedov. There's no blood relationship to Khabib, though. There's some kind of backdoor cousins, other cousins, whatever. Anyway, he's part of that little Dagestani knuckle gang. He went pro in 2009, 13-year pro career. He signed to the UFC 2018. He won his debut against Justin Skogans. Now, he's coming off of a huge win against Cody Stamen. The round one, 47-second guillotine choke win over Cody Stamen. I mean, Cody Stamen is a very tough dude. Coming off of that win, coming off of back-to-back -back wins, mind you, his last loss was to Ronnie Barcelos by decision, 2019, about three years ago. He has never been finished, so very durable. His only two losses are by decision. Now, some things I like about Saeed Nurmagomedov. Number one, he's got some good finishing ability. His last three wins have all been by finish. So you don't think of him as a big-time finisher, but he has that ability. There's no question about it. He has solid takedown defense. Now, in this fight, will that be a factor? Not really. You think about Douglas Silva de Andrade from Brazil. You're thinking maybe some jiu-jitsu. Guy is pretty balanced, but likes to fight in the feet. So I don't think takedown defense will be a factor. But in the case of Saeed Nurmagomedov, he does have very good takedown defense. Just very good wrestling in general. Makes sense from Dagestan, right? He's going to have about an inch and a half reach advantage. Not a big advantage, but I guess if they're on the feet from distance, he'll have a slight advantage. A very good kicking attack. When you think about these guys from Dagestan, you automatically assume, put them in that box of like wrestle, grapple, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov, he's like the evolved version. He's the Dagestani 2.0. They can strike like Umar Nurmagomedov. They can strike, work at distance. And so that's a big part of his game, though he can also grapple as well. Now, my concerns for Nurmagomedov, he still is a bit unproven. And the main line behind him is just because of the name in part. He hasn't really been tested. Will this be his toughest opponent? Maybe. I would put Andrade and Cody Stamen in the same area. You know, same, same, but different. But in the case of Andrade... Again, 37 years old, much older. I think the advantage there from a youth perspective is going to be a big factor in this fight. Now, as for Douglas Silva de Andrade, the Brazilian UFC veteran, he's been a pro for 15 years. He went pro in 2007. He began his career 22-0-1. He fought predominantly in South America in Jungle Fight and Pitbull Fight Championships. He's 5-4 in the UFC. Now, looking at some of his recent opponents, his last win, a round two rear naked choke against Sergey Mozarov, where he came in as an underdog. Very impressive win. Now, Sergey Mozarov in that fight, Again, coming with that Mozarov last name, Magomedov, any kind of OV last name, they get that bit of a bump on the money line. 
He came in there as the older fighter and kind of, you know, put Sergey in his in his place and got the win. Very impressive. His prior fight, Gatano Pereiro, not a very well-known fighter, an okay-level fighter. He got the round one win by TKO. So back-to-back -back wins by finish. His prior fight, Leron Murphy, loses by decision, but very good fighter. Then you start going back further in topology. You see some names you just can't. You know, you can't overlook Peter Yan, Marlon Vera. He beat Cheeto Vera. Now, granted, that was Cheeto Vera four years ago, 2018. That was Cheeto Vera like 1.0. The evolved Cheeto Vera seems like he's on the juice or something. This guy's a wild man. But prior to that, also, Rob Font. He's been in there with guys like Cody Gibson. The bottom line is the guy has been in there with much better competition than Saeed Magomedov. And that does matter. And in the last fight, I think it's a difference in the fight. Because first round of his last fight against Morozov, he definitely gets tagged. He looks like he might be on the way out but shows the classic Brazilian heart, gets through it, takes the fight to round two, and then exposes his opponent and eventually gets a finish. This guy's crafty. He's a veteran. Always comes out in shape. Now, the thing I like about the Brazilian fighter, number one, very heavy hands. So if Saeed starts training with him, he's got to be very careful. This guy does land with a lot of power, and he can knock out his opponent. And we mentioned before, last two wins were by finish. He has very good finishing ability. And look at that record again, 28-4 and four overall. Now, granted, most of that was outside the UFC, but the point is you don't get to almost 30 fights in your career with that kind of winning percentage unless you're just a dog. So the guy's a winner. He knows what it takes to win a fight. Now, my concerns for Andrade in this fight, 37 years old. I mean, that's not too old to fight, but this is not heavyweight, whereas that could be still your prime. This is the bantamweight division, lightweight class, where speed, endurance, those things matter. They're cornerstones of your game at that point. Is he still in good shape? Absolutely. Does he still have a good chin? Yes. But Father Time is undefeated. It comes to calling at some point for every athlete. And we're talking about a close fight. We're talking about two guys that are very evenly matched. And if there's a deciding factor for me, I'm going to take the younger fighter. And if you want to be really critical of him against elite competition, guys like Font, guys like Jan, he comes up short there and loses those fights. But I'm being picky here. There's only four total losses on his resume. Is Saeed Magomedov the equivalent of Peter Jan? No. Or even Rob Font? No. But is he pointing in the direction? Is he headed there? Is that part of his trajectory? Maybe. If Saeed Medoff loses this fight, no one's going to throw their hands up and say, oh, you're terrible, Saeed. You're not a good prospect. Get him out of the UFC. I think Saeed Medoff has stepped up over Sergey Mazarov. Early in that fight, Sergey had his moments. He was winning against Andrade. He just kind of made some mistakes and I'm getting choked out in round two. The fights we watched, I've been on this film, we watched Nurmagomedov versus Striegel, 2020. Nurmagomedov in his last fight against Stamen earlier this year. Andrade versus Mazarov in his last fight earlier this year. And Andrade versus Perillo from last year. If you want to watch any one of those four fights as part of our free video library, just look down below here on YouTube and you'll see four links available for those fights. My final thoughts on this fight, guys. Experience-wise, obviously there's an edge there for Andrade. Fighter IQ, both smart fighters, very well coached. When it comes to cardio, man, I'll tell you what. Douglas Andrade might be 37 years old and 7 years older, but the dude's in great shape. So cardio-wise, about the same. For finishing ability, they've both coming off of back-to-back -back finishes in their last two wins. That'll lend you to think someone gets finished here. At the same time, they're so evenly matched, I could also see the fight going the distance. But in terms of finishing ability, about the same. Who's the better striker? It just depends on what you like. If you like the inside body attack, the combinations inside, Andrade on the inside, in close, very good fighter, very powerful. Will definitely hit with more power, but when it comes to the nicer kicks, the more exciting longer punch, the more exciting rangier shot, of course, the one-and-a-half-inch reach advantage, that's where Saeed might pick up a point or two in the score cards over Andrade, who may be landing the harder punch, but doesn't look as sexy. Kind of get my drift. Now for grappling, I'm going to give an edge to Saeed Nurmagomedov only because Douglas Andrade doesn't do a lot of grappling. Now he has some submissions. He can do it. He's Brazilian. But I think Saeed, the longer fighter, I think he'll have a little more energy late in the fight. If the fight goes to the ground, I see him having advantage there. And last but not least, who has more heart? When you've gone 28 and 4 and fought this long, I'm not going to question your heart. Andrade is a warrior. In his last fight, got tagged up in round one and worked through it, got to round two, got the win. The dude's got a lot of heart. He's a veteran for a reason. As for Saeed, that's still an unknown variable. We don't know about him. He's 
gotten to this point, 15-2, pretty good overall record, never been finished. But we don't know what he's going to do when he gets into a war. His back against the cage, he gets hurt, maybe he gets cut. So for him, it's more of a question mark. The props I like for this fight, the fight goes the distance is plus 130. Now, not going the distance is minus 175. To me, it's like a toss-up. I can see these two guys going toe-to-toe for all three rounds, going the full distance, testing each other, even going to maybe a split decision. You know, these guys are very equal in a lot of areas. So for me, I'm not going to bet this prop, but if I had to choose the fight going the distance at plus 130, at least it's plus money. The second prop to look at would, of course, be either guy by some kind of a finish. I mean, look at the violence opportunities here, whether it's by submission, by TKO. Looking at the specific ones, like round one, round two, round three, I would look late in the fight. I would look like late round two, late round three, the over two and a half, fight starts round three. All those props to me are very attractive because these guys are getting so evenly matched. Very durable, good cardio. Saeed Magomedov to win the fight just outright. Money line's not great, minus 325, but I'm going to put it to some parlays. For me, it's a parlay or pass piece. I'm going to parlay it lightly, though. You can track our bets, of course, online, see what we're doing for this weekend. But I'm going to put it into like one or two parlays with not a lot of risk because, again, there is that X factor. Anyway, guys, that's the breakdown. Thanks for joining us. What do you guys think? Do you guys have Saeed Magomedov? Do you guys like the Brazilian? I mean, this is a toss-up. I've heard some good cappers out there on both sides. That's our pick, though. We're going to choose Saeed Magomedov to win the fight. No betting him straight up, but we're going to take them and put them in some parlays. All right, good luck with this one, guys. Let's move on. Moving on up the card, the co-main event is going to be a middleweight bout, 185 pounds between Armand Petrosian, who goes by Superman. He's 7-1 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights, squaring off against Chao Borayo, who goes by The Natural, who's 11-1 overall, and 5-0 in his last five fights. Borayo is from Brazil. He's currently a favorite here at minus 190 in the money line. He hails out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, to be exact. 29 years old, 5'10 in height with a 75-inch reach, and he trains out of fighting nerds. He kind of prides himself on the nerd look as you see his profile picture in Tapology. He's wearing the glasses. And at the same time, he also has a gigantic tattoo across his neck. So kind of a very unique nerd fighter type. In any case, Superman is 7-1 overall, as we mentioned before. He's an underdog here, plus 160, fighting out of Yerevan, Armenia, 31 years old, 6'2 in height with a 71-inch reach, and he trades out of Academy MMA. They've both recently come through the Dan White Contender Series program and have a lot of potential. Both of them only carry one loss. This is a very good co-main event. Now, it's not a title bout. It's not like a top two or three contender bout. And some of the casual fans may not know who these guys are, but they're both very good fighters. You know, someone walks out of here dropping their second loss of their career. Not a big deal. And in the case of Chao Barayo, who I think is going to win the fight, I believe he's got a lot of upside. Not that Armand Petrosian doesn't have good upside as well. I just think the ceiling's a little bit higher here for Barayo. Now, look at the numbers on Tapology. According to the public votes, Barayo is a favorite. I'm not surprised. 83% of the votes coming in for Chao Barayo, only 17 percent coming in for Petrosian. Actually, I am a little surprised. I would have thought a little bit more of the votes came in, would have come in for Petrosian, who fought really well against Gregory Rodriguez recently. We're going to talk more about that fight when we get to his profile. Yeah, I think it's a great matchup. You know, bottom line, I think these guys are very evenly matched. I like this fight. I'm looking forward to it. Now, looking at the striking numbers in these two fighters, for Chao Barayo, he's landing 3.66 strikes per minute compared to 7.56 per Petrosian. So, wow, that tells you Clearly, Armand Petrosian's a very busy fighter. Now, I will say the double amount of output is very impressive, but if you know the way that Borayo fights, he likes to do a lot of position control, you know, look for submissions, use his grappling, use his BJJ, and that's why the lower striking numbers, which makes a little bit of sense there. But still, nonetheless, we've got to give credit where credit's due. Petrosian's landing almost eight strikes per minute. Now, absorbing, 
1.70 for Barayo and 3.39 for Petrosian. So both of them are in a positive ratio, but again, a lot of output there for Armand compared to Chaburayo. Now for takedown offense or wrestling, Barayo will be landing 1.96 takedowns per 15 minutes compared to zero for Petrosian. So again, that tells you by the numbers that Chaburayo is more of the wrestler and grappler. Now for takedown defense, 37% for Petrosian and 75% for Armand, I'm sorry, for Borayo. Now, if you've watched Borayo's recent fights, he had a fight recently where he fought against uh, Gazi. Gazi took him down and you saw how effective on the ground that Chao Barayo is. He was able to quickly do a reversal position, get on top, and then he finished that round on top. In the case of this fight against Petrosian, who has 37% takedown defense, you could imagine that at some point, Chao Barayo will naturally attack that area of the game and look to get the fight to the ground. And on the ground, he should be superior to Petrosian. Now, on the feet, numbers tell you that Armand's pretty effective. Now, I'm going to talk more about his fighting style and kind of poke some holes in that, because I do think on the feet that Chao Barayo can also be more effective at times if he uses a very tactical game plan. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, for Chao Barayo first, he had a 1-0 amateur record, so not much of an amateur experience. He went pro in 2014. He fought predominantly in South America, Brazil, regional scene, nothing really big time, none of that LFA or Bellator rising, so more or less low-level scene until he popped up on Dana White Contender Series last year. He wins his first fight on Dana White Contender Series, thinking like about, was that like August or so of last year? Yeah, around that time, he wins the fight by decision but does not get a contract. And Dana basically tells him, look, you're very talented. You need to improve a few things. More or less didn't like the way he didn't finish the fight because in round three, after being up two rounds to nothing, going into round three, he kind of coasted, didn't look for the finish. So he left there with no contract. But then like a month or two later, in October of this past fall, they call him back up. He comes back, faces a pretty good opponent in Jesse Murray and gets a round one TKO finish as a minus 560 favorite, came back, you know, sort of learned his lesson. And then from there, took his first fight in the UFC, uh, just back in April of this year, where he beat Gazi, Omar Gaziev, as a plus 100 underdog. Pretty impressive. And if you knew about Gazi going to that fight, Gazi was 13-0 going to that fight. Now, granted, it was Gazi's UFC debut. And breaking down the Gazi fight, he pretty much dominated that fight <laughs> from pillar to post. And the fight ends in round three because of an illegal knee. It was unfortunate up until that moment, but I was managing to pretty much owned the guy. He had him down in round one and round two, and even in round three, had position control, had back control, and Godzi's, again, pretty good prospect, 13-0, had nothing for him, but he hits him with an illegal knee, and Godzi's hand was down. They end up stopping the fight at that point, and they go to the judges' scorecards. Now, notably, they did take a point away from Borayo for round three, so he still had one round in one and two, and they gave him the decision win. Unfortunately, we couldn't see to go the full distance, but Godzi looked like he had enough, and the illegal knee was pretty hard, so I'm not even questioning whether Godzi was hurt or not. It was a pretty hard illegal knee, and it was an accidental knee. Now, prior fight was Jesse Murray on Dana White Contender Series last fall. Won that fight round one TKO as a minus 560 favorite. And then his prior fight before that was his Dana White Contender Series first fight against Aaron Jeffrey as a plus 135 underdog where he won by decision. So the last three fights, this guy has come a long way. And now he comes to this fight here as a slight favorite. Or I mean, I guess slight favorite would be understatement. Minus 225 favorite compared to plus 184 Armand. Yeah, he is a strong favorite. And I do like him to win, but it's, you know, we have to be cautious here. This price tag is probably not quite accurate when you consider the fact that it's like his second UFC fight. Petrosian, very good. I thought the fight against Rodriguez showed a lot about him. Very tough, very durable. Took a lot of hard punches in that fight. Minus 25 is probably too much to pay here for a guy in Chao Barayo, but I do like him to win. He is very talented. Some of the things I do like about his game specifically, he's very athletic, has very explosive strikes. He does some flying knees every now and then. Very exciting. He fights out of a very tall southpaw stance. As a southpaw, that's always an adjustment for a right-handed fighter, which Petrosian is. He's very durable. He's never been finished in his career. Then again, he's only fought like eight fights, but so far, so good. 
good. He covers long distance. He's kind of sneaky, long and, and rangy, long legs, good long strikes. And so like I guess he's kind of sneaky how he covers range. He's got very effective knees in the clinch. So dirty boxing, elbows, knees in the clinch, very effective in that area. And I think he's got a big advantage in that department. Whereas Armand Petrosian likes to fight more at range using a one-two jab combination. And he has excellent cardio. In his first fight in the one contender series, you could see how he went the full distance. In round three, he was very fresh, had no problem finishing the fight. And last but not least, his most lethal weapon. His submission ability is nasty. He will look to get the fight to the ground. Armand will have to defend against submission opportunities. There will be some opportunities in this fight, and that's a proper way to talk more about as we get to the end of this breakdown. But the bottom line is submissions are the most lethal component of Barrio's game right now. Now, my concerns for Chao Barrio. Number one, he hasn't really faced tough competition. This may be his toughest competition to date. We also haven't seen him hurt or cut or really face some adversity. He does hold his head up pretty high at times, kind of like a Muay Thai fighter and will tend to get hit. I mean, has good head movement, but again, has his head up a little bit high, his guards kind of below his chin. And lastly, he's kind of dependent upon his ground game. Now I'm not saying he can't win the fight on the ground. I think he can. There are some paths for victory for him on the feet, but on the ground, it seems like he has such an advantage. And if he can't exploit that, it kind of feels to me like it's a big part of his game going out the window. So I feel like he's a guy who's not one dimensional, but his ground game is an important aspect. If Petrosian could defend against takedowns, somehow not likely 37% take on defense but if he can do that or somehow get back up quickly then at least he can neutralize that part of Barrio's game now as for Armand Petrosian the Armenian he has no amateur mixed martial arts record he fought MMA bouts in AMC fight promotion part of the UFC he won a Dana White contender series last year to earn his UFC contract he defeated his opponent via a first round TKO and he fights out of a traditional right-handed boxing stance he's not very well known for his wrestling but it should be noted, he has been to Dagestan recently to work in his wrestling. I'm not sure how much that's improved, but it's just a side note. His last opponent, he fought earlier this year against Gregory Rodriguez. He was a plus 130 underdog. It went to a split decision and he got the win. A very good fight to sort of gauge where Armand Petrosian's at in his career. Number one, excellent durability. He took a lot of hard punches there from Rodriguez. If you know Rodriguez, the guy's built. He hits very hard, throws very hard. Petrosian did a good job, showed a very solid chin. Now got reckless at times, showed some holes in his game, but in terms of durability, in terms of his heart, his passion, showed a lot and earned a very good win over a very tough opponent. Prior to that, he fought Kalyan Koliev. 2021 last year got a round one KO victory. He was a minus 130 pick him. Koliev was 10 and 0 coming into that fight. He was undefeated. It was an impressive head kick that dropped Koliev. And then from there, he jumped on top of him and finished him off. So those are his last two wins, his last two fights. He's on a three fight winning streak now. Now, some things I like about Armand Petrosian. Number one, we talked about the chin. If you go back and watch the fight against Rodriguez, he gets hit several times very hard and displays a very solid chin. He's also a very active fighter. This is his second fight this year and he fought four times last year. He's on a three fight winning streak. He's a balanced fighter. He's a balanced fighter. He's more effective on the feet, but he can be effective on the ground. He can grapple a little bit. I don't think he wants to grapple in this matchup against Barrio, but he's a very balanced fighter. His striking is very sharp and his kicking is very powerful. It makes sense. He's got the kickboxing background. He does a very quick one-two combination and he leads with a jab. He knows how to use his footwork to avoid punches and to set up his jab as well. Now he's got two weaknesses I want to talk about. Number one, against Koliev, he got out-wrestled. And I mean out-wrestled very easily. Koliev took him down with ease several times. This could be a gigantic problem against Borayo because again, Borayo wants to use his submission ability. He wants to get into the BJJ. He wants to get position control. He's also very hittable. Most of the time, he'll use good footwork. He'll circle his opponent. But when he stops to exchange with his opponent and in the fight against Rodriguez, you saw this, he'll stay in the phone booth. He'll trade shots. His head's very wide open and he's very hittable. I'm not sure that's going to be a big issue against Chao Barayo because Chao, I believe, wants to get the fight to the ground. But against other elite level opponents, Armand Petrosian is going to risk getting knocked out if he stands and trades with guys against Rodriguez. Again, he got away with it at times and it showed a lot of courage. I mean, he had a great chin in that fight, but it's not a smart way to fight against good strikers. 
And lastly, he's very range dependent. And what I mean by that is, when you watch him at medium range, he's got a great jab. It's fluid, it's quick. Sometimes he'll follow it up with his right hand. But if you close distance on him, if you kind of squash him against the cage or if, like, take the fight maybe and move him around, force him to get off of his pivot point, he ends up losing that jab. It can be very effective at times. And so if you force him to move off his pivot, if you force him to change direction, if you take him to the ground, you kind of squash him, you sort of take away that component of his game. And I think it's one of the best parts of Patrician, excuse me, of Patrician's game is his lead jab. Now, the fights we watched to bring on this film, we watched Petrosian versus Koliev from last year, Petrosian versus Rodriguez from earlier this year, Borayo versus Murray from last year, and Borayo versus Omar Gaziev from earlier this year as well. If you want to watch any one of those four fights as part of our free video library, just take a look down below here on YouTube. In the description, you're going to see there's four links available to see those four fights. My final thoughts on these two fighters, experience-wise, about the same. You got 11-1 versus 7-1. Fighter IQ, again, about the same. Both guys, newcomers on the UFC roster, but they don't fight that way. They sort of have like this professional experience edge to them. And even the way they carry themselves, even post-fight, their interviews. So from a fighter IQ standpoint, very impressed. From cardio, both guys check out. I haven't seen them get tired or wear out. In the case of Petrosian, he was in a war in his recent fight with Rodriguez. Did a great job with the full distance um, with Barrio. Hasn't been to the distance in his last few fights, but the last time he went to the full distance, he looked great. So cardio-wise, they both check out. For finishing ability, you know, I think I give Armand Petrosian the edge in the KO punching power. He's more likely maybe to land a big shot, but submission-wise, I give the edge to Borayo. So from a finishing standpoint, they're not amazing finishers right now. It doesn't show that in their stats, but they both can get a finish in this fight. Striking-wise, you know, I want to give the edge to Petrosian. I think he's the sharper, better quicker boxer but man Chaparayo has more tools I feel like he's better with the knees I feel like sometimes even in in like close situations for example against the fence if he's able to get into those situations he's more effective there from a striking standpoint there's positives and negatives on both sides about the same grade for grappling I'm going to give the edge to Chaparayo and it's not because again Armand Petrosian's a terrible grappler terrible wrestler it's just that clearly Chaparayo when you watch him on film spends more time working in that area I believe if he can get a body lock on Armand, he can eat up some time. He's done it in prior fights, and that could be a danger here for Armand Petrosian. If it goes the full distance, or if it goes the better part of the fight, he can lose a round or two because Chabarayo is so effective with body locks and getting position control on the ground. And last but not least, who has more heart? They're both so young. I'm going to tell you this. The Armand Petrosian fight against Rodriguez, he showed me he's got some balls, can take a big punch. So I know he's got some heart. He's got some balls. For Borayo, we just haven't seen him in that spot yet. It's just a question mark for us. Now, the props I want to talk about here before we close this down. The fight going the distance is plus 140. I could see some violence. I think we could all envision some violence. But the reality is here, they're also very evenly matched. 29 years old, 31 years old, similar records. I can see these guys fighting a very close fight for all three rounds at plus 140 could be a spot to consider. The spot I like the most, the fight starting round two is minus 280. I'm a little surprised it's at this number. I would have thought it'd be like more like minus 300, minus 400. At minus 280, I'm confident it goes to the round two. Now, this is not the kind of spot you're going to play straight up. This will be like a parlay piece if you're just not sure who you're going to like to win this fight. So minus 280, a spot I like the most here for all the props that I'm going to talk about. Now, some more props to think about. Plus 250 for Borayo to win by submission. Man, the meat has been chewed off that bone. You're thinking that'd be like around plus 300, maybe plus 350, somewhere in that range. Nope. At plus 250, there is still some value, but I don't love it. I probably won't play it. Armand Petrosian by KO, plus 350. That's assuming something we just don't know. That's assuming that he could hurt Borayo. That's assuming that Borayo is still an experience, can make a mistake and get KO'd. That's a big assumption. Again, I don't think there's a lot of value there. Now, for the fight starting round three, it's minus 110. If you subscribe to the idea that these guys are very evenly matched and it might go the full distance, not a bad spot to consider. The fight ends in round three is plus 300. Now, not a lot of value there. That's telling you the books are letting you know right there. 
this fight probably doesn't go the full distance. They even see the fight ending in round three at some point, right? Plus 300, not a lot of value there. Now, how about this one, though? The round three submission prop for Chao Barayo to win by submission in round three is plus 2,200. I like that prop. I think there could be a situation where Amon Petrosian just gets exhausted in round three. He's been in the body lock for a while. He's been fighting off submissions and eventually makes that one mistake and Chao Barayo gets him in a rear naked choke position and finishes the fight. Now, look, if you know Petrosian, he's probably gonna have to be put to sleep. Very tough fighter, but I'm gonna play that spot there again round three submission prop winner by barayo is plus 2200 and that's your breakdown boys and girls i like chop barayo to win the fight at minus 225 on my line you know there's not a ton of value there but there is some value if you want to parlay it i have a lot of confidence in him now with that said you have to sort of remind yourself second ufc fight 29 years old still limited experience armin petrosian tough sob he showed that in his last fight could we envision another fight where it goes full distance and armand petrosian squeaks out like a, another split decision win if you can see that happening at plus 190 not a bad spot to consider so let me know your thoughts guys thanks for joining us here if you haven't done so already please like and subscribe and we're on to the next one All right, we're up to the main event here for UFC Vegas 58. It's going to be a lightweight battle at 155 pounds between two Rafaels, Rafael Dos Anjos from Brazil and Rafael Fiziev, or Fiziev, who's from Kyrgyzstan slash Azerbaijan. We'll talk more about that. Anyway, Rafael goes by Ottoman. He's 11-1 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. So he's on a winning streak. Minus 210 favorite currently. He's done some training out of Thailand, where he trained at Tiger Muay Thai, 29 years old. 5'8 in height with a 71 and a half inch reach. As for Dos Anjos, 31 and 13 overall. A lot more cage experience. He's 3 and 2 in his last 5 fights. A dog here at plus 175. He hails out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. 37 years old in 8 months, so about 8 years older than his opponent. 5'8 in height, so same height with a 70 inch reach. About a 1 and a half inch reach advantage there for Fiziev. And Rafael Dos Anjos trains out of Kings MMA. Though I do believe he's also moved back to his gym in Brazil. I can't remember the name offhand, but uh, he's trained at some good gyms and obviously been around for a while. We'll talk more about his background when we go over his profile. Now looking at the numbers on Tapology, it appears that Fiziev or Fizev, I keep pronouncing it differently, I apologize, is the favorite from the public, getting 69% of the votes. Only 31% of the votes coming in for RDA or Rafael Dos Anjos. All right, let's look at the striking numbers in these two fighters. So for Dos Anjos landing, 3.62 per minute compared to 5.35 for Fiziev, which is interesting. I heard some capper breakdowns where people suggested that the volume advantage would be with on the side of RDA. Having watched them on film, I can see moments in the fight where Fiziev will slow down. He'll have less output, but the numbers don't lie. He's landing 5.35 per minute compared to 3.62 for Dos Anjos. So he is the higher volume striker. Now, as for defense, not so great there for Rafael Fiziev. He's he's absorbing 5.57, excuse, excuse me, per minute, whereas 3.24 for Dos Anjos. So the striking defense, the advantage would be there for RDA. Now as for grappling, takedown offense, 1.99 takedowns per 15 minutes for Dos Anjos, 0.48 for Fiziev. Clearly, obviously, the grappling or activity, the wrestling activity would be inside of Anjos. Now looking back at their backgrounds, that kind of makes sense. Uh, Fiziev is more of a kickboxing Muay Thai background, whereas Rafael Dos Anjos was actually the 2003, I believe, 2003 world champion in jiu-jitsu. So he's got a grappling base from Brazil. At times in his fights, he will attempt some takedowns, especially rounds one, two, and three. But as with most fighters, he tends to slow down a little bit. The cardio becomes a factor and there's less takedowns later in the fight. We'll see how that plays out because a key takedown or two in this fight could help him secure a round. I don't believe it leads to a submission per se, 
But still, Fizev is not really known as a grappler. He's got 95% takedown defense, which will be tested, but still not known as a grappler. If the fight gets to the ground, you got to manage the advantages there for uh, Dos Anjos. Now, for Dos Anjos, defending at a 58% rate shouldn't be an issue. I just can't imagine a world where I see Fizev trying to take the fight to the ground. Not that he can't do anything on the ground. It's just that he's so elite level on the feet. I imagine the fight stays in the feet for most of the fight if it goes the way that Rafael Fizev wants it to go. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk here first about Rafael Fizev. So he was born in Kazakhstan to a Russian mother and a father who's from Azerbaijan. I always say that wrong. And so he's got mixed parents, but both Russian-speaking parents. He grew up as a citizen in Kyrgyzstan. So he was born in Kazakhstan, but actually grew up in Kyrgyzstan, which is the same country as uh, Valentina Shevchenko. He began Muay Thai at the age of 11 years old to defend himself against bullies. Believe it or not, this guy was getting bullied in school, kind of a smaller stature uh, young kid, and he decided to start Muay Thai at 11 years old to defend himself. He also studied Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing, and boxing in his early years. Three-time Kyrgyzstan Muay Thai national champion. He went pro 2015. He has earned performance of the night and fight of the night twice in the UFC. In 2021, he revealed that he would no longer represent his home country of Kyrgyzstan because of his stance against the discrimination in his home country against Shia Muslims. I must assume that he is Muslim himself. Now he represents Azerbaijan, which is the home country of his father. Interesting little side note, his occupation, like his career, what he was doing before he became a full-time mixed martial arts fighter, he was a police officer. <laughs> I can't imagine him getting into a tussle with a a criminal and him just like kicking some honey, but uh, it's listed there in his uh, Wikipedia profile. Now looking at some of his recent opponents, Fiziev fought his last fight against Brad Riddell. That was last year. He won the fight round three KO. He was a minus 130 pickup, but looked dominant in that fight and obviously finished the fight in round three. Riddell at the time was what? He was 4-0 in the UFC, looking pretty good. Now Riddell has fallen to 4-2. He's lost his last two fights where he's been finished in both fights. He obviously just lost, what, a week or so ago against the Tarantula. Now I'm not suggesting that Brad Riddell is not a good opponent, but, you know, maybe at this point, he's a little more average uh, than above average. His prior opponent, Bobby Green, 2021 decision win. He was a minus 300 favorite in that spot. So some people will criticize him and say, well, listen, you should have done more. You were a big time favorite. Green is the kind of guy where, listen, he can extend you. He's pretty durable. Uh, he has been finished by some top level guys. He's got a pretty good chin, good gas tank. Uh, so not a not a bad win. You'd like to see him be more dominant, of course, but still got a win over a solid guy who's a gatekeeper in the division. And then his prior fight, Renato Mochiano. Both of these guys have fought Renato. This fight was in 2020. He got a round one KO win. Now, looking at the way Renato fought Dos Anjos recently, I think everyone will agree that Renato is, number one, got a lot of balls. <laughs> it can take some punishment. He went the full distance with Dos Anjos. And at times, yes, the fight probably could have been stopped. I'm not I'm not suggesting that he you know, didn't show moments of where he couldn't. He could have been finished. He looked like he was about to die a few times. But he did get through it. Five full rounds, round three and four especially, were terrible for him. You look at the fight now against Renato Mokiano when he fought against Fiziev. He got finished in round one. So if you're doing MMA math, there's a significant advantage there for Fiziev. Now moving on to the things that I do like about Fiziev, the way he fights. Number one, elite level striker. Great combinations, equal striking power and quickness with his hands and his feet. Has high volume and pushes a high pace. I see Fiziev as the more high volume striker. I see him as the guy who's gonna push the pace and probably force RDA to do some circling and back up. He's got excellent cardio very good gas tank. Both guys have had good gas tanks historically, though I think age will be a factor here, and I expect Fiziev to be the fresher fighter later in the fight. 
And he's also been very durable. In his 12 total fights, he's only been finished one time. And last but not least, he's got good finishing ability himself. Of his 11 wins, eight have been by finish. That's seven by KO and one by submission. Now my concerns for Fiziev, he does have finishing power, but you can argue over the last few fights, he hasn't displayed that. He went a decision with Bobby Green, Mark Diakisi, and Alex White. Alex White is 14 and six overall and no longer in the UFC. At times, he's sort of played down to the competition or been unable to finish guys that he was much better than. A win is still a win, but I'm just putting it out there. You could question his finishing ability against higher level guys. He has much less octagon experience than his opponent in this matchup. There's no question RDA is the much more experienced fighter. I mean, he's the former UFC champion, which we'll talk more about when we go over his profile. And lastly, he hasn't displayed a great ground attack. That's not really part of Fiziev's game. Again, maybe he can go and have a full career and not have it be a big issue, but he's gonna have to defend himself on the ground, have to continue to show good takedown defense. And at some point, it's good to be diverse, right? So I'd like to see him also improve in that department. This probably will not be the fight though because against a guy who's a former world champion in jiu-jitsu he probably wants to keep this fight on the feet okay let's talk about rafael dos Anjos. he was born in rio de janeiro brazil he grew up fighting in the streets and at the age of nine years old picked up jiu-jitsu at that point he stopped fighting in the streets found a good instructor the man's been doing jiu-jitsu since he was a kid most of his early fighting career was in brazil he's the former ufc lightweight champion he won the belt in 2015 at ufc 185 over the legendary anthony pettis he's tied for the most wins in ufc history with 20. He's got the second most total fight time in UFC history with seven hours, 33 minutes, and 11 seconds. He signed to UFC 2008, so been around for a while, about 14 years in UFC. And keep this in mind, he went 0-2 in his first two fights in the UFC. Look at that. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. He has a 20 and 11 overall record in the UFC. And as we mentioned before, he's a 2003 Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. He's a fourth degree black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. If the fight gets to the ground, if there's any grappling, he should have a significant advantage in that area. His most recent opponents, he fought Renato Mocchiano, his last fight. Most people remember this fight. It was a war. It was earlier this year. He was a minus 190 favorite for most of the early part of the fight. Let's say up to round four. He was dominating. And there's a great argument that can be made that the fight should have been stopped. But nonetheless, it goes to round five and he drops round five. You could point out a lot of reasons why. Maybe just mercy. He didn't want to kill this kid and the fight was not being stopped because at points in the fight, Renato Mocchiano was really out of it. He had a lot of damage on his face, and some people were suggesting that Dos Anjos just simply didn't want to hurt him anymore. And I think if you're following that train of thought, then maybe in trying to do that, he sort of pulls back a little bit, you know, gets off the gas pedal in round five. He's already dominating the fight. He's going to win. Unless he gets knocked out in round five or finished, he's going to win the fight. And I think in him trying to back up a little bit in round five, if you follow me on this theory, he then gets hit with a few shots. And next thing you know, Moikiano is sort of showing the comeback. At the same time, you could say, well, he looked kind of tired in round five. He did let him come back in the fight. If the fight goes like another minute, maybe Mokiana knocks him down. He definitely got stunned in round five. Now, what does that mean, right? Does that mean he blew his wad because he was throwing so many hard punches and had Mokiana pretty much dead? Or does it mean at 37 years old, nine years older than his opponent in this matchup here coming into this fight, is that a factor? The guy's fought like 40 something total fights, been around for a long time. I mean, has been to the most decisions, I believe, also in UFC history, another stat that he has. So the guy's also, you know, fought a lot of rounds. Could we be seeing some of that? You know, just so kind of putting all those things out there. I know I'm kind of dropping a lot of seeds, but in that fight, he wins his dominant fashion. But I think when you look at round five, there's some things there. His prior opponent, Paul Felder, Mr. Felder, he does the commentating now for UFC. He won that fight by split decision in 2020. He was a minus 200 favorite. Now keep this in mind, his last two opponents, he came in as about a minus 190, minus 200-ish favorite, so about a two to one favorite, and both guys were late replacements. Split decision against Felder, an aging Felder who's not retired, and then against Mokiana, who was a late replacement. Yeah, he kicks the hell out of him, 
almost kills him, but he loses round five. So just kind of putting that perspective, two wins where they weren't perfect by any means. And then his prior opponent before Felder was Michael Chiesa, 2020 decision loss. He was a minus 230 favorite. So last three fights has been around a minus 200 favorite. They've all been pretty close at times. And of course he dropped this fight against Chiesa. Now other notable opponents, if you look back at his topology, it's hard not to recognize some of these names. I'm like, wow, Kamara Usman. 2018 decision loss. Colby Covington also lost to him in 2018, but by decision with the full distance. Robbie Lawler, decision win, 2017. So Robbie Lawler about five years ago, still pretty good level of Robbie Lawler. Uh, Tony Ferguson, decision loss, 2016. I mean, consider that. Decisions with Ferguson, Lawler, Covington, and Usman. You know, so very durable, very crafty fighter. Eddie Alvarez, round one KO loss, 2016. He fought Donald Cerrone twice. First time he beat him by decision, and then second time he beat him by knockout. He also fought Anthony Pettis, beat him by decision 2015. Nate Diaz, he went over him by decision 2014. So again, wins over solid guys. I mean, UFC Hall of Famers. He fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, went to decision, lost to him in 2014, and then had his jaw broken by Clay Guida in round one 2010, way back in the day. So the bottom line is the guy has fought some of the best of the best. And from that standpoint, he was going to have a gigantic experience advantage in this matchup. Now, the other things I like about Dos Anjos, he's known for his aggressiveness, high volume, physically very strong, and he has good takedown ability. Averaging, again, about 1.99 takedowns for 15 minutes. He'll use feints. He uses kicks. He likes to back his opponents up against the cage. He's also very well known for his strong kicks to the body. He does work the body very well with both punches and kicks. And though he has a foundation in grappling and jiu-jitsu, in 2017, he started training with Jason Perillo. And this trainer really refined his boxing games. So since that point, you've seen an improved version of RDA when it comes to striking and boxing, which again, he's able to use to set up takedowns. And on the ground, he's a fourth degree black belt. The guy's dangerous at all times on the ground. I imagine part of his game plan is to at least do some grappling at some point, even if it's on the feet, but do some grappling, try to put Fizev in some submission positions. Now my concerns for RDA, the last few wins, we talked about it. He's kind of skating by, you know, not all wins are created equal. It's my opinion in those wins, those last two wins, especially he's showing, you know, chinks in the armor, showing he's a little bit older. Cardio is not as good. He's not as fast as he used to be. And I think in this matchup, the quickness and speed advantage will be strong in the side of Fizev. In the last fight in particular, he slowed down in round five. Cardio was a factor. He's giving up eight years youth here to his opponent. I think if the fight goes to round four, round five, Fizev will not only be quicker, he'll be more active or have more volume. And that'll be a big problem for RDA on the scorecards. In the fight against Moikiano, Moikiano is able to land some pretty good strikes in round four or five. If you know anything about Moikiano, he's not known as being a power puncher. He's a grappler. But yet in round five, he stuns Dos Anjos. If Dos Anjos does not do a good job of blocking the strikes for Fizev, Fizev will stun him. He'll hurt him. And I can even see him finishing Dos Anjos at some point late in the fight. And lastly, Father Time is undefeated. The reality is he's fought 40 some odd total fights. He's eight years older than his opponent. He's been in the UFC for a very long time. I'm not suggesting he's going to retire anytime soon, but he's fighting a guy who's a great prospect, a lot of talent. I can't imagine a way that RDA over the course of five rounds, I don't see him knocking Fizev out with any kind of weird shot. If it goes into round three, four, five, I imagine Fizev has almost all the advantages and a big part of it will be because of the age disparity. If this fight was like six, seven years ago, RDA, then I'm saying it's a pick him down the middle. But this is the older version of RDA, you know, RDA 3.0. And you've got Fizev 1.0, who's looking amazing right now, 11 and 1. I just feel like he's got all the advantages in this matchup. The fights we watched have been on this film. We watched Fizev versus Green, 2021. Fizev versus Riddell, 2021. Dos Anjos versus Mokiano from earlier this year. And Dos Anjos versus Felder from last year. 
those four fights are available down below in our description here if you want to see any one of those four fights as part of our free video library. My final thoughts on these two fighters. When it comes to experience, we give the edge to Rafael Dos Anjos. In terms of fighter IQ, about the same. Both guys make good decisions. They're well-rounded, very well-coached. In terms of cardio, I give the edge to Fizev, but that's only because of the youth. RDA historically has had great cardio, a lot of decisions, of course, in his background. But in recent fights, again, I've seen him do some things where he suggests that he's slowing down, getting older. It's okay. It's father time. The guy's fought a lot of fights. He's had his jaw broken, so I can imagine the guy is just naturally slowing down over time, and I see Fizev being the fresher fighter late in the fight. As for finishing ability, I think Fizev is the better finisher, and clearly, again, the numbers suggest that. For striking, Dos Anjos is a good striker. He's an improved striker, but when it comes to volume, pace, speed, Fizev has the advantages in that area, not to mention Fizev has the ability to hit you with his hands and the feet. When it comes to grappling, the edge is on the side of Dos Anjos, the former 2003 world champion in jiu-jitsu, and last but not least, who has more heart? Dos Anjos, I mean, been in the game for a long time. I'm not questioning his heart. Fizev seems to be a young warrior. I haven't seen anything from either fighter that would separate them when it comes to who has more heart, or who has more balls. I expect the fight gets tough. If it goes late, both guys will go out on their shield. The props I like for this fight, the fight not going to decision at plus 110. And here's my reasoning for that. I think if the fight gets to round four or five, the pressure and pace that Fizev puts on RDA will force him to eventually sort of tap out. When I mean tap out, like ball up, not return enough punches. I could even see a standing TKO of some kind. Dos Anjos is a champion. He's a powerful guy. I mean, former UFC champion, literally. The guy's got a lot of heart. But I believe that Father Time comes to call in here, and at some point, Fizev gets to finish late in the fight, round four or five. So plus 110, the fight, knock on decision, is most likely my favorite prop of this fight. Fiziev winning at any point by a KO is only plus 225. I don't love that price tag on that prop. I was hoping that'd be more like around plus 450 or so. So plus 225 is not very attractive. The fight starting round four is minus 240. I usually like these spots. The fight starting round three or round four or something like that. Here, not a great value. And I'm not sure if we even get to round four. Now there's two far reaching props I do want to sprinkle in this fight. The fight ending in round four or five for Fiziev by a knockout. If it happens in round four, it's plus 2,300. If it happens in round five, it's plus 3,000. If you can follow me on this theory here, imagine Fiziev is the fresher fighter, younger fighter, round four, round five. Dos Anjos shows glimpses of the same thing he did in his last fight against, against excuse me, uh, Moikiano, where he got tired in round five. He allowed, he allowed himself to get hit a few times, got stunned. If Fiziev will catch him and stun him in round four or five, I'm not going to be shocked at all. I see that happening. I have like a vision of this happening. So again, in round four, it's plus 2,300 for Fiziev to win by KO. And round five, it's plus 3,000. Just sprinkle those props. They're kind of like lottery props. You never know. If the fight goes the full distance, I'm also not going to be surprised. But I just think the younger fighter here will push enough pace, will really force Dos Anjos to defend himself. And at some point, I believe he gets knocked out in round four or five here by Fiziev, the younger fighter. And Fiziev goes on. Continue blazing his path, moving up the ladder, moving up the rankings, and probably will become a title contender in the next year or so. So I like Fizzy have to win the fight at minus 210 on the money line. I like the spot a lot. I've heard some people say, oh, you know, maybe dog or pass. I respect it. But to me, this is a win-win-win. Fizzy is the better fighter. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, experience is on the side of Dos Anjos. Grappling's on the side of Dos Anjos. I can see him getting some takedowns. Could it be close getting into round three, round four? Yes. But once we get to round four or five, the age advantage for Fiziev, the pace, the pressure, the youth will be there. He's going to force Dos Anjos to defend himself, and I think the fight ends in round four or five. And that's your breakdown, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. As always, we welcome comments. Let me know what you guys think. Who are you betting on? Do you like Fiziev, the younger fighter? Do you like the old man, RDA? We always welcome feedback here. Leave comments down below, and we'll try to respond to everyone's thoughts and ideas. All right, guys. We'll see you guys soon. Peace.
All right, guys, that brings us to the end of the show. I'm going to give you our summary of our picks to win here. Start from the top. We like Fizev, Baralo, Nurmagomedov, Vandera, Calvillo, Malarkey, Tarusios, Shevchenko, Gore, Anama, Robertson, and Kakramanov. The fights we like the most, the ones we have the most confidence in, the ones we might consider for some parlay pieces would be Shevchenko and Kakramanov. On the main card, we like Malarkey, Nurmagomedov, and Fiziev. The underdogs that we think have a chance to win would be in the main event, RDA, Armen Petrosian in the co-main event, Nina Nunes at plus 130. And on the premium card, the dog I like the most in the premium card would probably be Zahabi at plus 160. So the dogs that I like the most. Anyway, guys, that's your breakdown. Good luck with this card. I hope you guys end up with some winners. You can always track our bets online, of course. The link's down below to track our betting information. Please like and subscribe, and we'll see you guys soon. Deuces.